everybody. Welcome back to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I am your host. And I am wishing you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Early New Year. Happy 2023 if it's kicked off, depending on when you're listening to this. I am thrilled that you've taken a minute or hour, as it were, out of your day to make this podcast part of your life. So call it a holiday gift from you to me. I thank you. 2022 was quite a year. Plenty of highs and lows, injuries and illness, race wins and world travels. I've seen that firsthand. And our guest Pete Stetna has as well. Pete is part of what I'm calling the current state of gravel. This this series of podcasts that I've been hosting for the past two episodes, three with this one, Lawrence Tendam, of course, the previous one, Ian Boswell prior to that. Pete has, he's got a, such an interesting take on the sport. As he comes into gravel, guns a what, probably three years ago. And he's still going full speed ahead, but now with a bit more time in the field, with more experience, with more perspective. Not to mention, now with two tiny, itty-bitty kids at home. I really enjoyed racing with Pete in my world tour days. I enjoy racing with Pete these days in the gravel scene, and I really enjoy talking with Pete, so I'm pumped for this episode. Lastly, let me take a quick minute and tell you about something that has made my life better, quite frankly. AG1 is the keynote product by Athletic Greens, and it is something that I started taking every day without fail for the past six months because, quite frankly, I wanted to simplify my life. No more spending loads of money on a whole bunch of vitamin pills every month. No more wondering where I'm going to get my macronutrients, my probiotics, my adaptogens that I rely on in my daily diet. No more worrying about the cross-contamination in this contemporary world of funky pseudo-ingredients as found in the nutritional aisle. I get all of that from Athletic Greens. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with this convenient daily nutrition. It is simple. One scoop of water into a bottle, shake it up. That is how I start my day every day for the past six months. No more need for a million different bottles of pills and supplements to look out for your health. AG1 has you covered. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Again, athleticgreens.com slash Ted King to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's it. That's all. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my conversation with Pete Stetner. Cheers. Cheers to beers off season. Hog belt. Beer's in off-season. Beer's in off. Well, beers are in-season for us, too. But <laughs> I made a beer. Uh, I had a t-shirt company. You had a t-shirt company? Sort of. It was a company called uh, Cutaway Clothing, and they made a bunch of shirts that said, I am not Ted King, because that was my branding all right. through my career. Right. And then they made beer glasses, and it said, cheers to beer season, mm-hmm. because it was yeah. like, every, you know, when you're home, beer season's yeah, with always. a beer in your hand. <laughs> nice. All right, so. Cheers to beer season. Cheers to beer season. Um. Do you remember we did a podcast once? Yeah. Do you remember my first real gravel race, yeah. big one? Yeah. Not real. My May, first not hopper. May 2019. Yeah. A lot has happened since then. Yeah. Um, you oh were gosh. contracted in the world tour. Yeah. We have um, seen your retirement from the world tour. Mm-hmm. We've gone through a pandemic. You have become a parent. You have become a parent two times over. You've become um, a gravel privateer. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny to look back at call it a so what is that three two and a half year period yeah. and consolidate it into a a couple short phrases. But how would you consolidate the past two and a half years in a couple short phrases? And then we and then the subsequent conversation right. from there is going to be the purpose of this conversation. I, gosh, it's. It's an entirely new life. Yeah. Like the world tour in my former career feels like a an old memory now. It really it does. It's and things I don't even view cycling and what I do the same. Like it's just it 
yeah, it just seems like a novelty. Yeah. But is it like the closing of a chapter in the world to our life, and this is a whole new ball game, or are there enough similarities that it feels like the same book? I mean, when you're when you're bike racing, it's like you know, there's there's ways you apply that act, and I think you and I have experience and and just experience, yeah, knowledge and know-how to really like implement that into the race, right? And how we we ride, but so it's. I mean, I do view it as a bit of a continuation, but I definitely like. I don't. I don't miss it yeah. by any means. Like I, it's. Uh, you know, I, I see those races now, and it's just like, yeah, I don't need. I don't need to do that. Like I'm. I'm just fine right here where I am. Yeah. Do you follow World Tour racing? Do you watch them? I call it the, the, the heyday. You can yeah. watch, like, you can watch anything on the on your yeah. phone now. Yeah, yeah. Do you? I I watch the tour definitely. I get into that. I get tour fever. Um, you know, if if I'm not inundated with something else in in the privateering gig, like yeah, I'll try to catch Roubaix or Liège. But yeah. I mean, I don't I don't pay my hundred fifty dollars for flow bikes. Yeah. I got I got GCN on a screaming. Black Friday, fifty dollar deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think GCN, yeah, that's the hot ticket in terms of watching bike races. Flow has Flow. If you're listening, you got some work to do, my friends. Um, yep. What yep. do you suppose? I don't want to do superlatives because superlatives of heart are hard. But I'm going to ask it. What do you suppose is the biggest surprise of the privateer life, or or just this this second act gravel racing? Um. I don't know if it's a surprise for me now, um, but it's the uh, it's something I really love. But I think everyone else coming into it because they've seen that this is a great alternative career path now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's guys who can make more money doing this than actually trying to go for that world tour neo pro contract and. I think um, the biggest surprise folks will find is you need that entrepreneurial mindset. You have to be a little bit, think of yourself as a brand. You have to think about um, the marketing angle and and all those other bits and budgeting and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, your own. There's the logistical side. You got to be your own travel agent. You have to be your own uh, financial consultant. Well, you can go seek those out. But yeah, you have to have a little bit more creativity. Training is almost secondary. Yes. You know? Yep. Over the course of the past two and a half years, it's also become cutthroat. Yeah. More and more cutthroat. And and who knows what it's going to be in another two and a half years. You know, and I think you saw this coming, and I think you have another level to even see this. I was thinking about this as I was driving over today, is like, you know, because you fell into this gravel space a little bit before I did, you know, and then you saw me coming in, you know, and I was still a world tour racer and you're like, gosh, it's getting faster, you know? Uh And then, you know, I feel like I was almost a little bit like, I don't know if it's a, it's not, I don't mean it negatively, but like I was a little bit the harbinger for like the next infusion of speed, you know, because the the seriousness, you know, and and because I've seen a massive influx in the way gravel races are happening in race, especially this year. I feel like this year was a massive shift. Uh-huh. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the persona you brought in when you said, you know, you put your flag in the ground and said, yeah. Pete ruined gravel. <laughs> right? And yeah. and by that, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's bringing the professionalism and the seriousness and a yes. rigorous schedule. What I often thought in my case of being what, you know, the first world tour guy to come to gravel right. was, if it's not me, it's somebody else. So yeah. I was, I was, I've been fortunate throughout my career in, in, in any number of ways, not least of which was stumbling on gravel. Right. And that's brought a lot of notoriety in a positive way and things have been really good in my career as, as a result. Um, my arrival was inevitable in my impression Mm -hmm. your seriousness was also inevitable so if not you it would have been somebody else as well yeah so it's almost like it's great to have have been able to put your flag in the ground uh and that's something i i struggled with especially this year is you know it's it's why you come you know it was much more relaxed in the earlier days and and you know i came and i was like you know what like i'm still competitive i'm still you know in the prime of my physical capabilities so 
And you know what? I saw it that BWR in 19 after our potty and that first unbound we all did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like these are legit races that deserve to be focused on and I want to do that but my the line I drew in the sand was it can never be at the expense of like the greater community mm-hmm. and and that isolationist world to our life that a lot of us had had pushed off. Yeah. And that's where I think that's changed this year. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing, thinking, I because um, we drank a lot of beer at BWR. Correct. You know? and that was correct. And I, rem- I, I still out. remember to this day that, that you were like, it was the day before BWR. Yeah. We're eating tacos. That's great. I mean, yeah. that's that's a perfectly helpful meal. And then you're like, <laughs> I'm going to go get ice cream because this is a great carbo-loading experience. And yeah. like, I don't know. I don't feel like you, you or I or anybody would really go reach for ice cream the day before Unbound or BWR. Like, there's a level of seriousness that that the game has been upped. No different yeah. than, like you say, 2022 is a is a different ball of wax. Like something yeah. has happened this year. And I yeah. and I remember talking in the spring. Laura and I were trying to seek good weather, so we left Vermont. We went to Arizona for a week. We did a week in uh, Tucson. Uh-huh. Ran into Finsty. Ran into Keegan. And I loved their enthusiasm as they're, they they just barely dipped their toe in gravel in 2021. And they were going big time 2022 with tremendous seriousness. Like, heat train in Tucson, ironically, for an unbound that turned out to be kind of cool and overcast. But heat train for, what was that, three months. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm at home thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in Vermont. All pursuing the same point, that there's a level of seriousness and and one-upsmanship that certainly didn't exist in 2021. And what I never want to come across as is complaining about it. Because again, it's that inevitability. And the sport of cycling is much bigger than any one person or any group of people. And it's fluid and it's changing and it's cool that gravel is is getting the seriousness. There's... There's just some level of arms race, and I mean, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on the seriousness? You know, and that's again, that's that's where I drew my line is that this is about that shared experience with the masses, and it, that that goes beyond just the course, right? Where it, it doesn't just mean we're all riding 200 miles in the Flint Hills together, right. but when I start to hear stories of, you know, riders like taking out all the bearings of their bottom bracket because it provides less resistance for one day, but then the thing is shot and you throw it away afterwards, like, that's unrelatable. The other 99% aren't doing that. Like, that's, that's a little bit lost the plot. Hey, hey, quick interjection right here. What Pete is referring to is not the removal of bearings themselves. It is removing the bearing seals, which are rumored to cause the tiniest bit of friction. Therefore, removing the seal reduces drag. It smokes a set of bearings after a single ride, but it is apparently the tiniest bit faster. Don't believe me? The first time I heard about this happening was the final time trial of the 2008 Tour de France when the underdog Spaniard, and soon-to-be teammate of mine, ha, Carlos Sastra did just this. He beat out the far superior time trialist Cadell Evans to win the overall Tour de France. And so the story went, Carlos's mechanic had taken the seal covers out of all of his bearings prior to that time trial. Was it true? Who knows? But that's supposedly what was happening. Okay, back to the show. I had to step back and think on a deeper level of, like, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. Like, you know, you can't be uh, a gatekeeper, so to speak, but it's, it. I'm happy to speak up when things don't jive with me and I don't like it, but... I also have to accept that my way isn't the right way, you know? Like, if, if other people do enjoy that pursuit of, like, every little angle, right? Like, who's to say that that's wrong? Right, um, yeah, you don't want to stand in the way of the tide. And I think others can, you know, they can align themselves with either or, you know? Maybe some well-off doctors who really want to do a gravel race want to take the bearings out of their bottom bracket, right? And save two watts, right, right. you know? Um, but I do feel like, you know, it's, and, and again, like I talk with Finsty and Keegan on, on the reg, but you know, it's like, and it wasn't even them because like Finsty, great dude. He gave me a push while I was trying to pee after chasing at Big Sugar, like as a teammate, you know, like he was a, such a solid dude. But I feel like that, you know, that moment in Steamboat, you know, there was, 
like let's rewind, like Gravel Locos. I remember when like we were stopped at that aid station and like I had a bottle of lube, I gave it to you, you gave it to Boardman and we all like took a minute, mm -hmm. started chasing again. Yeah. And people were like, yeah, that's sweet. And then, you know, the opposite happens at Steamboat, which is like, you know what, we're gonna ride packs, we're not gonna stop, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But what that ha what happened there is that was a monumental singular moment where a bigger group, more, like a lot of pros did that all at once. Yep. Blasted, and, a, blasted through a fusion. Yeah, and yeah. left everyone, and used that purposely to accelerate. Yeah. Like, they didn't attack us before, they wouldn't attack after. But since that moment, even though I'm fine with that now, like, they wanted to run packs, that's great. Almost every other gravel race, a majority of the gravel races I've done since Steamboat, have had attacks in the feed zone on purpose. Yeah. And so I feel like that moment, to think about only that style of performance, killed an angle of chivalry and gravel. And that's that disappoints me. Um, and again, I don't hold that to any of the guys at Steamboat. I have to realize like that's where gravel is now. I have to watch my back at every feed zone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have to have a camel back in the van at the start of the race. And when I see the start line, I see how many of the other hitters going for a result have a camelback? Like, do I throw mine on or can I just get away with bottles and know that we'll like look out for each other out there? Well, and to that point, and this is, might be diving too far into the details, is, um, you know, if you go to a race that, that has the neutral support, or not neutral support, if you have your own self-supported stop, much like Unbound, you need to have your own personnel, Yeah. then it's gonna be the super quick handoff and the multiple hydration packs. Yeah. A hydration bag is 150 bucks. If yeah. you need to go through and, and swap two or three times, like, okay, cycling in general is not an inexpensive sport, but yeah. it seems a little bit absurd in that trickle-down mentality. Okay, yeah. if the doctor is going to be throwing away his bearings and he's fine with that, then $450 in the hydration packs is a drop in the bucket. Well, there are a lot of some, those riders. But it's, it's huge for others, and it's ridiculous. When you look at the photos, there's a, the steamboat is self-supported, no neutral. Yeah. They carried packs. At the finish, they didn't have the pack on their back. Right. That's a pile of litter somewhere. You know? Yeah. Or that's somewhere out there that's going to collect it for them. So it goes two ways. There is no rule in the world tour that says you can't attack in a feed zone. It that's is true. It is frowned upon. It's yeah. against the spirit of the sport. It it happens, I think, probably with more regularity than it used to. Yeah. Now, can you imagine attacking Cipollini in a feed zone <laughs> back in the 90s? Like, you just get clocked. I mean, yeah, yeah. now the man's in jail. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, how much do you really have to... Like, I just can't care that much. And I did... It just... Right. It brought me so much mental stress and internet stress, too. Yes. That was my biggest yes. problem was ever being public about it. Sure. And... It's a non-winning situation. No, it's... Yeah, nothing ever good comes out of, like, creating a dialogue on, on social media. And, and I just realized that, like, I have to carry myself and race with the way that gives me pleasure. Because this year, I lost the balance. And I had a lot of external life stresses around, right? There's a, I, I had a lot of stuff thrown at me this year, but I realized that I'm not in gravel to play that game. And I want to race as hard as I can, and, and I, you want to do the same, but I'm going to do it in the way that brings me personal enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And I have to do that, otherwise I won't last in this space. Exactly what you said a handful of minutes ago. Yeah, you've lost the plot once, you, once you're no longer doing it for those reasons. Um, switching gears and staying on topic. Aero bars. <laughs> yes or no? Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> And so everyone thought, and because this is the mindset right now, um, a lot of riders thought I was playing mind games this year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started that conversation, and unfortunately, you know, well, fortunately for, you know, your, your newborn, but um, you couldn't make it to, to Unbound. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it was a good thing you got to duck out of this, <laughs> out of this dilemma. It was a good year to be an observer. <laughs> um, it was this, you know how are we looking out for this whole space because there are so many eyes on the front of the pack here? Like, can we do this together and try to make it as fair a race as possible? Because it, again, became to that point of that entry to, that barrier to entry for me. Mm -hmm. So instead of just slapping some, some arrow sticks or some comfort sticks on your bike now, it is the 3D printed multi-thousand dollar, and people are having wind tunnel tests. 
on their gravel bike with aero bars and seeing if a hydration pack is faster. And if that becomes the level that you need to do to be competitive in this space, like if the power of gravel is that you don't need that pro license. You can show up and race against us and if you beat us or go toe to toe with us, that's gonna get noticed, that's gonna help you launch your career. But if all of a sudden it's so specialized that you have to spend thousands of dollars on your equipment investment and customize sticks for a few races a year, like again, for me, we've lost the plot. And that happened this year. And so I sent out that email to all of us trying to just get everyone talking. Cause we'd had really good chats around, um, you know, how we all felt about, you know, the, the whole UCI thing too. We had an email going and, um, and it was, I kind of worded it as, you know, like, you know, if enough bricks crumble, this wall will fall. But, you know, if we can all just kind of band together and then lo and behold, you know, a couple of guys respectfully still responded and said, you know, know what, I'm going to, I'm going to run this, these arrow bars. It's within my right, which, okay. A few guys didn't respond and just, were going to try to do it anyway and not say anything about it. Um, and I kind of saw this moment where, you know, Keegan and Finsty kind of like grabbed this middle ground of like these little like mini extensions, like the puppy paw things. Yeah. And they were like, they were like, yeah, I care enough about the result. Like I'm not going to disadvantage myself. And, you know, I had a pair of those too, a prototype that Shimano had asked me to ride. And, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Like there's enough bricks crumbled, like this failed. And so I threw them on the day before and everybody said that I tried to get them all to not run them so I would have the advantage. <laughs> so there's another Pete Ruin gravel moment for you. <laughs> it was all in good faith, but man. It's, and, it's a, and actually, no, this is really interesting. I want to hear your side of the story because like this happened to you too because you won Unbound with them. Uh-huh. And then the next year when I was there, I had them and you had done the opposite and said, guys, no. Yeah. And now I find myself doing the same thing that you did yes. again two years behind you. My, my biggest gripe is they're aesthetically displeasing. I think yeah. a gravel bike looks sweet. I think a gravel bike with mm. aero bars looks silly. But that is a little bit neither here nor there. Um, it, it, oh, it's such an interesting conversation. I think what's great about aero bars, among other things, is there are people who would not finish that race were it not for aero bars. Yeah. There are people who their speed is going to go from 8 miles an hour to 10 miles an hour, and they need a different position, and that is going to allow them to finish before cutoff, or whatever the speed yeah. actually is. That's fantastic. It's the the part that I'm not thrilled with is I remember my, it was the second year that I did it, 2017, and there was somebody right in the middle of a pretty elite oh pack gosh. of probably 15 people in the aero position. I'm like, I cannot believe you're doing that. If you crash, you're gonna impale somebody with your bars. Like it, it was the least opportune time to do it. Yeah, I get I can't it if you're gonna go do a sol- to do solo break, right? Yeah. Uh, and then. You know, now we have these shades of gray where what you say, the puppy paws, yeah, that's it's not technically an aero bar, but but there is there's you're gonna try to rest your hands there and grab your sure. computer, then well, then what is Gosh. the difference? I don't I I don't have a good answer. One thing that is you know, supersedes this whole conversation is gravel is the you know, it's the Franken bike, it's it the is. run what you brung, it's the welcoming nature, it's the it's it's all the things that immediately fly in the face of, of having rules in the first place. Right. So it's hard to have well actually admittedly at Rooted Vermont we have the rule that says no aero bars because our course isn't really advantageous for it, but mm-hmm. I also think they're displeasing and, and so on and so forth. So we have the same rule at Pay Dirt and it was yeah. just just make the rule. Yeah. You know. Um, so how about would you, would you, if you could somehow institute it in a diplomatic way, would you institute a mandatory feed zone stop? Oof. Carl Decker's rule was, or idea was this. You know when you go to a restaurant? Well, we did this at Gravel Locos. Sorry, I want to hear Decker's restaurant. His Sorry. was great. <laughs> you go to a restaurant and you, you walk in. Instead of getting a reservation, they give you the little uh, vibrating puck. Mm-hmm. And then you wait your 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if everybody got one of those and they, you know, you pass some threshold so that it mandates that you stop for two minutes and you mm-hmm. can't leave until your vibrating puck goes off. Mm-hmm. You know, if you register in the pro category, there's, you could, you could get enough of those that, that each, each rider has one. Yeah. 
uh, that was his idea. And I'm like, actually, that's kind of brilliant. Because kind of if you're purely going to go on the honor system, then someone's going to cheat the system and something bad is going to go down. Always. Eventually. Yeah. So some iteration on that. Like if you could institute it in a diplomatic way, would you would you institute the rule mandatory feeds on stop? I just I not in every race and that's where it gets so great. It's a case by case scenario. I think there's some races where it's super like I actually, you know, as we go back, even though it changed the nature of gravel henceforth, like I think it's kinda cool that like those guys did the entire SBT without a single stop, right? Like, the self-supported nature of it, right? That never crossed my mind. Yep. You know, I never thought to do that. Yep. Um, so there's there's our races where I think that's pretty cool. Um, I think there's other races where the stop is part of what makes it part of the event, too. Like, the unbound stuff, you can't do unbound nonstop. Correct. You know, and so, like... I think it would be a case-by-case, but I think if you're a race organizer, it really is up to you. And I think you could make everyone's life a little easier. I think we should put the ball in the organizer's court. You're an organizer, I am. Like, you know, with with Unbound, I know they like to kind of sit on the, the, you know, this is less rules, this is, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, they do say you have to stop these many minutes, or you have to stop. You have to have an aid crew. You don't have to stop. You have to have an aid crew. Uh, You know, I talked to them about the aero bar thing. I was like, we're going to continue to bicker. The pros are never going to all collectively stand together. If there's a rule, people will play by that rule. And they said, you know, it comes down to, um, you know, everybody else and stuff. And I said, well, there already is a pro class. The Lifetime Grand Prix exists. Like, people, there were, like, pro stickers on the number cards, like, just say no arrow bars in the pro class. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, they like um, to, to, to straddle the line. I Which mean, is also kind of funny because there's a mandatory rule of having a light. Yeah, but which not no one does. Exactly. If you're going to finish a, in under so small. 15 hours, like you're not, you don't actually need a light, but it's in the rules. Well, and that was... I. Big Sugar's the same, even though Big Sugar doesn't take that long. I don't know if anyone's out after dark, but... I couldn't tell you. I think it's because it's so late in the year. Yeah. yeah. So... The, but... That's something that actually it does rub me the wrong way because I know it's so small, but like, you know, there was, I asked a few riders, I was like, you know, where's your light? You know, it was a, a friend of ours too. Um, I won't name names, um, but at Unbound, like it's literally like one of like their 30 rules. Like you must have a front and rear tail light. Right. And they were like, oh no, like if I'm, if I'm out that late, like I'm not going to finish. So you're either like, you're here to race and to perform and to get a result or you're going to drop out. Yeah. Which, that is not the point. Like, Unbound is you finish no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, when Payson, like, went through hell and he still finished, like, at 11 hours or... No, sorry, like, 15 hours or He's whatever. a fun full circle case because maybe... It was either his first or second he didn't, didn't finish. Yeah. And I gave him crap for it. Yeah. And now he's, like, the full circle gravel. <laughs> and he... Yeah, he yeah. certainly went through hell. Yeah. And, yeah, I think he regrets not doing it that year. Um... So I don't know, but I would, yeah, I would say it's it's up to each organizer, but, like, so at, at Heiko this year, yeah. it was so hot, it was like 100 degrees, Fabian was like, you know what, everyone fills, and then we start racing again. Mm-hmm. And he was there to police it, mm-hmm. but he could only police the very front of the race. Sure. Um, so, you know, My I don't only know. concern there, and again, this is probably diving into the, the minutia, <laughs> and it won't happen, is if you stop the front group, and you say, mandatory two-minute stop, and Fabian does that, and then somebody straggles in 30 seconds later, mm-hmm. and they don't fill up their bottle, and then they're dropped from that front group because they've only stayed for 90 seconds instead of full two minutes, yeah. and then they somehow put themselves at risk. Like, the risk is high in these events because yeah. they're enormous exposure in heat and tremendous distances. Right. I don't know. I mean, like, the whole point of, of gravel is the adventure and self-awareness, uh, and I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre. It is so hard. And that's kind of where I've just come all the way back around and be like, you know what, I've got to do it my way and the way that I have fun. And, you know, it's a... I, I really try to actually live by it a lot. You know, it's not... I know it's like a little thing that I try to promote, but like this stories and glories thing. Like, I saw it. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, like there are stories out there. And if things don't race for the win, by all means, you know, you can get a glory, but there's... 
there's always a good story out of it. And that is still cool with gravel. And so, yeah, I just uh, got to keep racing for the happiness. I dig it. Okay. Switching gears, still entirely on topic. Um, <laughs> okay. You have a mechanic in the form of Big Tall Wayne. Yeah. I feel like there's there has been something of a... Well, let me take one step back. Yeah. It was sometime... Might have been spring of this year. It was either spring this year or spring last year, where I'm I'm building my bike and then building Laura's bike, mm-hmm. and something goes wrong, and then I have to do some bike maintenance. <laughs> and there I am, like the night before the race, just yeah. like pulling my hair out. Yeah. Was, that was literally the first time I was like, oh, I get why having a mechanic would be helpful. <laughs> uh, um, in the there has been this is the arms race. Yes. Who can have the most stuff to be in in one's camp? Having yeah. a mechanic is invaluable. It's another little case of Pete Ruined Gravel, I think. Which is not what I was <laughs> implying, but there there is some truth there. And now yeah. you're, you know, Everyone having a mechanic, yep. I still don't, but you mostly don't. because I'm a cheapskate or something, and I'm like trying to look after my kids. Uh, yeah. The bigger question that, that I was thinking of when I was creating this question is, how does Wayne work for you is it one sponsor who initially said it's yeah so here's the story okay. with wayne and, and wayne is the freaking man i i will go out and put my stamp in it unmock don't meme it big tall wayne is the spirit of gravel i dig it yeah he I is agree with that. he is the guy that if you called him pulling your hair out at 11 be like dude i really need help this i'm i'm at my wits end he would come over. Yeah. We were at Big Sugar. There's these girls walking on the side of the road. He didn't need to stop. He stops the car, rolls down the windows, like, hey, what's going on? You know, and like, oh, well, actually, I have a bike stand. Like, I'm going to. Um... He was like, I'm going to. Uh, I got a bike stand in, in the back. Like, uh, come over, I'll take a look. And he throws this girl's bike in his stand before we're supposed to go to dinner, gives her new brake pads. Like, all of it. He was like, yeah, you should really get it bled. I don't quite have time to bleed your brakes, but like, he is the kind of soul, and he is out there for everybody. Um, And so the story with Wayne is uh, he's my buddy in Tahoe. He's my beer drinking buddy. One of the best mechanics I know. And as I started going down this privateer solo endeavor of mine, um, you know, I was like, yeah, like, I'd heard a bit of his story, too. Like, he his dream was to be a pro mechanic and he went through the usac euro experience in belgium hated it he said if this is what it is like the the belgians all took advantage of him kind of like made him the whipping boy a bit um and he was just like yeah you know they all protect their their jobs there right like you know how that world was you know and i'm laughing to interrupt because he is so genuinely yeah not uh, I mean this positively, but like naive, because he's so happy. Yeah, he's such a positive. And he was like, if, "If this is what being a pro mechanic is, uh-uh. Like, yeah. I'm happy to just go back and just work in the shop where I was happy." Sure. And so I just said, you know, like, "Hey, come on this adventure with me." Yeah. So you know, by this way, um, he gets to live his dream. My bike works. I will argue better than anybody's. He is my bike works the best. <laughs> it is the best working bike. Oh man! Um, yep. And uh, and we get just you have your buddy traveling. It's it really is just like a very simple case of like your good buddy going to bike races together. Um, and, and so when that was first instituted, was it? Did you go to a particular sponsor and say? So I I pay Wayne. Okay. I actually you know he's an independent contractor. You know he can't. You, you can't hire him, Ted. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not looking for that. <laughs> but, but I hear you. But um, you know, he can fill other jobs. You know, I'm able to give him enough of a stipend to make him somewhat comfortable and pay him a legitimate mechanic's wage. However, um, I don't want him to be beholden just to me. So um, I incentivize, or I don't incentivize him, but I push him to pursue other opportunities as well. Um, and. If there's other things he can do to to help make a living, then by all means. So you know, at Gravel Locos and at Oregon Trail, the organizers also pay him to be a mechanic for all. So at Oregon Trail, he's fixing other people's bikes at night. Sometimes he's at one of the aid stations fixing chains and whatnot. Um, Fabian had him in the front car at Gravel Locos for all of us. Um, so he's able to kind of double dip a little bit, and then Canyon. 
thought he was so good, they started pirating him away from me. Oh, nice. So now Canyon brings him to a bunch of events. Um, and it's actually, like, it's all good because Canyon's my number one supporter. But um, so we're, we're able to kind of all share. It, it, like, almost starts to fall into, like, factory rider territory. But it's not. Like, I'm still independent. But um, Does he wrench back home? He doesn't need to anymore. Okay. So he was, as of two years ago, like during the pandemic, full-time at Olympic Bike Shop in Tahoe City. Art's our local shop. They're great. Um, they are community up there. But uh, now he's able to take an off-season. He's on his honeymoon right now instead of rushing. So, yeah, I talked to him um, a big shirt, and he's like, I'm going to Mexico. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's able to be a pro mechanic. Um, that's awesome. So that's Big Tall Wayne. And if you see him, if, if anyone listening sees him at a race bug him he'll he'll help you he doesn't know who you are and he'll still help you it is convenient to have such a uh physical characteristic that allows you an uh, uh a name like big tall wing <laughs> so that right. he's a standout character yeah. it's not like joe average mechanic it's big tall wing yeah it's a big tall wing <laughs> okay how do you suppose in 2020 that was your first year in gravel how do you suppose you you went about picking and choosing a schedule this is going to be a, a multifaceted question. And how has that process changed? When I look at your calendar, and I think when most gravel people look at your calendar, your, your schedule is busy. Yeah. And, and certainly we've seen the advent of uh, Lifetime Grand Prix and BWR Series. Mm-hmm. So how do you pick that schedule? How has it continued to evolve? And is that busy schedule sustainable? Uh. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, coming from the world tour, you and I would do 80 race days a year, yeah. average, right? And like, so, you know, 30, 35 races a year was no thing, but it's stage races accumulate a lot sure. faster. You do a Perry Nice and you get a quick eight yeah. days, 10 days. Yeah, you do yeah. two grand tours and boom, 40 race days, you know? So sure. it's like, you know, 31 day races right. is a lot, that's a lot of weekends, that's a lot of travel. And that's something I never considered. However, you know, before kids and stuff, you know, I wanted, I'm infatuated with this gravel thing. And the cool thing is like a road is, a climb is a climb anywhere, right? There's different scenery, but gradient tarmac, smooth tarmac, right? So gravel, it changes wherever you go. The, the terrain mixture, the composition, Sierra versus rooted in Vermont, you know, Sierra pumice, whatever you call it. Um, and so I want to experience it all. I really love that. I love, you know, without focusing on just pure performance, seeing these communities, right? Visiting the local brewery at wherever we are. And so that's why I started that. And, and then you start to think a little bit about brand, right? And, you know, I'm racing gravel. That's where, that was my mark, right? So, you know, I set about like researching hard. I spent hours every winter looking at all these cool little things that what would tell a good story, but also like, what are some of like the biggest ones, right? Yeah. You know, to because there isn't a gravel calendar, right? Without the UCI, like you just kind of pick and choose. Sure. Um, and so I created these, what I considered like you know an elite calendar, because um, that was my thing. You did put that on the map. Yeah. Where yeah, now I'm at the point that that people are asking, well, when are you going to release your calendar? What is yeah. your calendar? And I'm like, yeah. that's nothing. I've never considered that in my life. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great thought experiment yeah. and I think very but you important. But you can so, do it and you can also put like Mill District Week. Sure. You know, because oh, people, like, people are like, hell yeah, Ted's in Healdsburg. I'm going to go find, you know, like. That's a big part of the calendar. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was the thing. But, you know, and but now that we have so many big races and the advent of these series, mm-hmm. um, again, as per our earlier conversation, I feel like I've lost the balance a bit. It is unsustainable. You know, I, I support the Lifetime Grand Prix. I love, if anyone's going to take on that challenge, it's better them than anyone else. However, um, you know, I, I don't want them to only own the conversation. I think your Mid-Souths, your Steamboats, your BWRs all deserve just as much. So I wanted to make the BWR Quadruple Crown a highlight. Um, and it, I just, all year I was pulled into just performance and stressing about results and points, right? It was always these points chase, and that's not why I came here. So, you know, next year I do need to reevaluate. I still may do the Grand Prix. It's fun. 
it's probably the only mountain bike races. Like, if I don't do the, the Lifetime Series, like, maybe I won't race a mountain bike, yeah. <laughs> you know, which worries me because I love that. But um, I, I do need a better balance. So next year I am looking at more of, like, a even split or at least, like, a 70-30 of, like, you know, your big marquee events where you and I go and you're like, we got to, you got to go to Unbound and you got to be like, all right, it's business time, you know? But then... I want to find those kooky, weird ones in states that haven't got the recognition. I want to find the cool gravel races in Tennessee and Washington that no one's talking about on on the bigger domestic stage, right? And because I think that's where like the heart and soul of this thing still is. And that way, also personally, I'm not spread too thin. I'm not just like oh, another like high end race and being attacked in feed zones every weekend, right? Like you know what, like, I'm going to go to this race, we're going to stop, there's going to be a whiskey tasting in the forest, and because I know there are races like that, and I'm going to find them. But I, that'll also refresh my head for when I go to Unbound, it's like, all right, 60-second pit zones, like, gloves off, arrow bars, whatever, like, let's go, you know? Like, and so I think it'll help me, too. Um, I think international races... Yes. ...reintroduce that flavor, as, as international races are so young... Um, you went to Columbia this year? Yeah. That was an adventure to end oh all gosh. adventures, just purely based on the number of times you spent in, in front-loading excavators. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, Oh, my God. Yeah. And was... How much international racing do you have on your calendar next year? Do you? Uh, I'll be at Finland. Yeah. First of all, you know, somewhere we never got to go. There's never road races in Finland for us. Um, Canyon's also a sponsor, so they care, but I said I want to do it regardless. The week after Unbound, which will be hard, but just go. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to stay on in Europe for a little bit and do like a fun thing in the Dolomites. Just a soul searching adventure. Um, so there will be some Europe stuff. I try to do one international thing per year. Um, being self funded now, you know, that, that takes into account. Sure. You know. If Wayne stopped asking for so much damn money, I could maybe go international. <laughs> uh, South America was amazing, though. So I don't know where's next. Uh, I kind of want to try gravel in Japan. I think yes. I think it's oh, coming. I want to go so badly. I think it's coming. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this summer, let's call it late season, you became a parent. Yeah. Two twins, yeah. which has not been without its complications. How well how hard how much does that factor into 2023 um massively yeah you know um gosh they're they're everything now you know and and a lot of the questions are i can't swing a three-week altitude camp (laughs) <laughs> you know, like to get ready for Leadville, right? Yeah. So it, is Leadville really worth going, right? Yeah. You know, like I've done that race, I've done that course. It's amazing, but yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, so it's it is a big question. Um, Emery's his first year is going to be tough. My son, um, he will need the long-term prognosis. He'll be good, but year one, a few more procedures. Um, so you know, I. We've learned through this whole process, though, that you can't keep holding and, like, waiting for that because then nothing ever moves. So we make our plan and move forward and then have to renege and adjust as possible, if if necessary. Um, So, yeah. um, Gosh, I've seen you at some races, too, and it's like you got the kids there and Hazel running around. I don't know how you do it. Like, I want to share this with them, and I'm going to... They will be at some races this year. Uh, I also really enjoy going to races solo because Wayne and I just get to hang out with everybody for hours and just drink beers. And like, because I also think that's important is just to be public, right? And just be hanging out because that's why we're doing these events. So I think there will be a balance. Um, You know, we, to help our lifestyle, actually, we, we have an au pair now. Uh, her name is Natalie. She's from Brazil. You will see her at some events next year um, just because, you know, childcare costs are crazy. Yeah. And with two, there isn't one, there's there's no buy one, get one half off deal. 
<laughs> I you wanted know? twins so badly. I was like, oh, the efficiency <laughs> of having two kids all at once. And no, I'm like, man. I cannot imagine. So Natalie is on a, a exchange visa from Brazil. Um, and that allows us to have my racing lifestyle still. So whether it's going to Tahoe or whether, you know, we all go back to our families in Colorado during Leadville Steamboat and she comes too. Um, that way, you know, we can have some help. Um, or maybe Diana needs to work and she can come with and, and she can see a big part of, of the U.S. as well. So that's going to be a new adventure. I'm really looking forward to that. Speaking of international racing, did you watch the UCI Gravel World Championships? Gosh. You know, part of me deep down really hoped they'd give me FOMO. Like, I really hoped they did it right and I'd be like, yeah, I should have gone. Like, I want to go next year. That didn't happen. I mean, I mean, they didn't even read the cliff notes. They didn't even read like the article about like equality, right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I. Did you watch it? No. Did you? I don't have flow bikes. Okay. No, it was GCN. I think it was GCN. It was Shoot, GCN. I missed it. You missed it. Um, I thought it was my flow. My takeaway is it's going to continue being. Like European gravel is going to be different than North American gravel, and yeah. and that's yeah. uh, perfectly fine. And, and yep. in talking to, or no, I haven't even spoken with her about it. Sarah Sturm did a podcast with Payson, yeah. and she I talked listened. about how the the female peloton, like they weren't taken aback that it was a, a shorter race. They're just the the women of um, the gravel peloton at the World Championships are so accustomed to doing a shorter race that they were perfectly fine with it. Right. You know, you... you because that's normal. You race what you are presented. Exactly. It is what is normal. And that's not normal in North America. Do you think gravel. it has to do with, like, Title IX kind of being founded here and us being more on that foot than perhaps Europe is at the moment? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, I don't... No, I'm... Yeah. Honestly, I haven't given it that much thought. Um... If maybe it's not as, but yeah, it's not questioned. But because it was more of a roadie-focused peloton right. over there, and it's just how you do. And I think it's gonna it'll unfold differently for any number of reasons. Yeah. I think most most notably because European gravel and, and the sport of cycling is much different in Europe than it is in North America. Like you said in the beginning of our podcast in May of 2019, which I listened to today. Oh gosh, was in America where participatory in the in Europe cycling in general is something that you observe as a fan yeah um well you know lawrence said it really well to us i think it was in an email between us you know and he was like you know yeah in, in europe the uci isn't questioned there's not this big distrust you know i think this stems from america having this distrust of you know mountain biking started here and it totally changed and it killed mountain biking here um and and just from the way that the UCI treated me as a rider, I just personally don't have, I don't trust them. Um, and this event showed that, again, they didn't even try to, like, do this sport honor. Like, but in the year in Europe, UCI isn't questioned. If you want to race a bike, you take out a UCI license. That's just what you do. So, yeah, they will create what gravel looks like there. Right. We're going to have what gravel looks like here. It will be very different sports. Um, you know, as far as worlds... You know, it's it came down to, again, the theme of this is like, you know, kind of standing up for what I believe in and how I want to do it. And also like a little bit brand, like, you know, my brand, like, was I going to gain anything by going? Like, A, I'd have to pay money for a UCI license, which I haven't had a license since 2019. So that was 450 bucks out of my pocket for an international license when you're, maybe it was a pro tour license, but we paid 450 for that thing. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but then it's like, you know, it's, you see, it's a pan flat course and they have all these world tour stars coming to basically a glorified Strada Bianchi. And it's like, Ironically, a pancake flat Stradivianchi. Yeah, and, and I'm not... Yeah, I know. It wasn't even as hard as Stradivianchi. So it's like, I wasn't going to score there against Vanderpool on that style of course. I mean, well, Matthew's just... He would win anything if he wanted, but you know what I mean, right? Like, anyone with just basic, a little bit of dirt track experience and a, a road pro, it was, it was a Watts contest. You know, if you throw those guys into unbound with 
you know, uh, damage control on the fly, plugging tires, right, aid station stuff, and chundry loose technical sectors, right, a BWR with a single track. Now we're talking what we do here, but if I went there, and if a lot of us went there, I think if you went there, if Keegan and Payson went there, and Russell, like, we wouldn't have performed, and it would have made gravel look bad here. Like, you know, the a second thought. And what we've done is we've created our own sport here because you see, like, the Bora guys came to Big Sugar here, and they got smashed, right? Like, we've created our own discipline, you know, and and I'm really proud of that, and I don't think it would have been good for us to go there and just get a whomping for anything of of what we're trying to promote. Do you... So it it sounds like, not to put words in your mouth, do you think that there is such a thing as a gravel specialist? Oh, yeah. Oh, a gravel specialist for, like, road or, like... No, gravel specialist in general. Uh, Meaning, in my my eyes, the world's fittest fittest people on two wheels are road cyclists. Yes. Um, um, I mean, I realize that that enter shades of gray and a mountain biker might say, well, I'm fitter and, okay, whatever. My point is, professional road riders who have to ride Perry-Roubaix in the mud... Yeah, or Strada Bianchi this year, which looked like absolutely nuts. I don't know if you watched that. Like, those are the the fastest cyclists on two wheels. So, I would actually argue, if if Sagan came to Unbound this year and really decided to race, if mm. Vanderpool decided to really race, if Van Art decided to really race, and okay, understanding those are the one percent of the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. Like right. those guys are aliens. Right. I still think road cyclists, because they're training day in and day out, four to seven hours a day, and they're accustomed to the technical challenges that we experience in a gravel race. If you gave them a one-week training protocol, yeah. I think they would still win, which yeah. is why we saw... And I'm not trying to discredit North American gravel, but it's. I think we're just in a different time and place. And my impression is those are the fastest people. Yes, watts-wise, fitness, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and right, in and out of feed zone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it, there's a lot to it. Like, unbound, it takes a couple times to, like, understand, you know, my first time around. Like, I was the slowest. I was 30 seconds behind all you guys. I remember watching you go the wrong direction. <laughs> I, I forgot my something. bottles. I forgot bottles. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Pete's never going to be seen again. Unfortunately, you caught us. I had to time trial for like 20 minutes. I cannot believe that you caught us. I but can't I'm like, believe Pete I forgot going water bottles. Way. That is hilarious. <laughs> like okay. rule number one, yes. water bottles. Yep. You know, like, you know, that that all happens, right? That all counts. And, and yeah, there's a learning curve. It takes a little bit. And now a lot of this gravel is getting more technical. So, you know, you're seeing these mountain bike specialists utilize the course to their advantage and put a lot of the road cyclists on the back foot. In a game-changing way? Depends on the course. You know? Where? Where is that happening? Um, I would say Crusher and the Tusher. That's not technical. Well, the downhill, right? Like, those mountain bikers... The screaming can, fast downhill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 30-second gaps. You have a little group. They start rotating. And, you know, I I caught back on, but, like, I had to chase Payson for a good two minutes. Yeah. You know, and, like, that, that kills energy for the next mountain. Yeah. You know, it's... So it is... It is different, and where I would argue is that the World Tour engines could be the best gravel racers if they want, but where it is right now is the original thing I say to, said to you at the beginning of this podcast is that entrepreneurial mindset. You can't just be a pedal pusher, and okay, now you know some companies, the industry is starting to change that. They're starting to create more factory team setups where you don't have to think as much, but for what you and I do... I'm not near as fast as a lot of those guys, but, I mean, I don't know if a a, a lot of my World Tour colleagues Mm -hmm. never had a desire to do all the other business that it takes to be a gravel privateer. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering at what point, this was a question I was thinking of an hour ago as we were talking about the, the entrepreneurial nature of the privateer. To be successful at gravel, it's not just race results, I guess. Right. I wonder at what point it becomes saturated. Because you can have a whole world tour of riders, 300 riders who are watt pushers, and then a handful of them will be superlative in, in promotion, social media, and, and, and helping with the, the brands with, with which they work. 
it's going to be a far... I don't think we're ever going to see a Peloton of 300 gravel privateers. I wonder at what point it is saturated. Is it the current number? Is it is it 200% what we currently have? Or is it 10% more? You know, it's... Well, I think it's... I mean, there's already enough races. We're having market saturation in races. There's yeah. conflicting races on every weekend. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, at what point is it only pro sport? I mean, the thing is, like, these are still mass participation. Mm -hmm. And so at what... Where is that percentage balance lost? Gosh, I don't know. And it's, it becomes an interesting numbers game. Proportionally, you take a bigger percentage of Canyon's budget per head mm -hmm. than the number of riders on Alpeson who are riding Canyon bikes. Correct. And you're doing better marketing as an individual yeah. than per head on that team. Yeah. So there's some balance. At what point does Can like Canyon couldn't all of a sudden see 30 riders like they have on their, their semi-world tour team come to gravel. Do they say, oh, we can we can support the same number of riders at Pete's level, we can support three of them? Or is it 10? Or is it one? Gosh, you know, yeah, like the amount that they pers they perhaps give Alpeson and the amount they give me, like how many gravel privateers if they just didn't sponsor Alpeson? Right. And then extrapolate that over the other brands. And just the Cannondales, the Specialized, and then across other uh, other other avenues, like not just bikes, but yeah. apparel and helmets. Like, gosh, that's a good question, man. Yeah. I don't have an answer and that's, for that. And, and no at one, what point do we see this? I mean, there's a lot of you know. And we haven't hit that. We part? haven't hit that. I don't know when it is. Yeah. Uh, I know for you and me, it's like you you got to stay nimble and creative and stay ahead of the game. You know, that's it's always a continual mind game, which I think is fun. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I probably enjoy that. You know, what's relevant, what ticks, right? Um, what's fresh for us too, but. Um, we're not seeing that yet because as of last year, I had companies cold call me being like, are you available? No. Okay, do you know a gravel pro who can do top 10? Yeah. We have a big budget ready for yeah. them. Like they just, they need somebody because everyone's trying to get on gravel because it's so hot. So I don't know if we're there yet. I, yeah, I, I know it's going to continue to grow. This year has been surprising to me in especially what you were just saying that. The number of people who have come to gravel without a history elsewhere in the sport, mm -hmm. and listeners will be annoyed at me saying that, Brennan Wirtz was the first of his kind, in my yes. mind, where he didn't have a background in road racing, he didn't have a background in cyclocross, mountain bike. Mariah. Mariah, oh my god, yeah, yeah. in a huge way. Happ yep. Griffin Easter, I mean, like, there are, yep. it's happening time and time again in 2022 that I've never seen previously, and yeah. it, I was taken completely by surprise, yep. and I think it's terrific. I think it is. You can launch your career through gravel now. Yeah without all the barriers to entry of getting on a road team and proving yourself through power files and then the race yeah. experience, so. And I'd be curious how many people take it elsewhere as opposed to, yeah, is gravel a means to an end or is a gravel an end unto itself? You know, that's a question. I do think there's some people who want to just perform here because they'll get noticed at by world tour teams. Freaking Ian down the road. 19-year-old yeah. Ian who's crushing results. Yeah. yeah, he had an opportunity to go to Europe and work yeah. with the development team in Spain, and of course he'd be... He yeah. didn't. You know, um, you know, I've heard of other riders thinking that this is their ticket to the big leagues. Um, I hope that riders are in gravel for for gravel in itself, right. because I love this and I'm proud of this. I don't want to be... I don't want our sport to be a second fiddle, and that's because that's why I'm here. So naturally, I'm a little protective, and I hope people are here for the right reasons, but... That balance is hard to to recognize that results beget sponsorship mm -hmm. and recognition and all the things that will continue one's career. Well, it's a and now it's interesting too because it's a financial thing. Like yeah. Keegan is staying in dirt because he can make a better living here. Mm -hmm. That says something too. And how do you maintain gravel for the sake of the fun of gravel Oof. like that? Yeah injection into the sport I, we don't have the answers it has been a blast talking with you about it yeah man our beers are done we got we had better service we would have had two beers but <laughs> yeah well we got we got multiple heat lamp changes so exactly I'll take that as a win well I appreciate the insight it's always fun hanging out it's yeah, fun it having you in the sport yeah thanks for what you do you, you as well bike ride. yep 
Thank you very much for listening. As always, any kind of review on your listening app is appreciated. Tell your friends, tell your family. Like, share, subscribe. You know the drill. Seriously, though, it is appreciated. It is also appreciated if you spend just a minute at athleticgreens.com slash Ted King. I won't be upset if you do that, too. All right. Take care. Thanks very much. Until next time, please enjoy the ride.